Good evening, everyone. <clears throat> so today we're starting a new series. Um, we're moving on from the book of James. James was a really good study for us to work through. I trust that you are edified through looking at the book of James and challenged as well. So today we're going to be starting on a new series, and we're going to be looking at the biblical idea of exile. You know, one of the ways in which the lockdown period, which we are currently in, has been described, has been to liken it to exile. It feels like we have been forced away from the places, from the practices, from our relationships that we have come to call home. And so while we are still in this state of not feeling at home with the way in which the world has had to change with the coronavirus pandemic, I thought it would be valuable for us to see what we can learn from the idea of exile. Exile is actually a, a major theme in the Bible, but it's also actually a major theme in our lives. And I hope that this series will help us to better understand this. And so as we start out, we're going to read Psalm 137. Psalm 137 is a psalm of lament. It's a psalm of yearning, of remembrance by Israelite exiles who express their emotion and their desire and they lament through these words. So this is what Psalm 137 sounds like. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we are in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. <clears throat> may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Ouch. You know, we have a saying that goes, there's no place like home. And then there's another saying that maybe appeals more to younger people, which says, home is a place you grow up wanting to leave and grow old wanting to get back to. There is something very particular and special and attractive about the place that we call home. As a child, when you went to school, you couldn't wait to get back home. And if you're an adult and you are fortunate enough to have employment, you can't wait to get home to put your feet up. You know, it, it feels like something is just right when you are at home. You're surrounded by people you love and trust. You have all the familiar stuff around you that makes you feel comfortable. 
there's this feeling of stability and safety and peace that is associated with home. And so like that other saying goes, goes, home is where the heart is, home really is where the heart is. Now, while some people get to enjoy and experience this kind of home that even becomes part of who they are, there are many, many people who don't have the joy of being in the place that they could call home. A very limited number of people have the luxury of choosing to relocate simply because they feel like a change of environment. You know, in the history of of our country, South Africa, there are people of color who have been forcibly removed from their homes and to this day still feel like exiles in their own land. This reality of people being driven out, pushed out, pulled out has actually become a major marker of this century. Now, in today's language, we would call this action, this process, by different names. We'd call it deportation, banishment, expulsion, being displaced, forced removal, forced migration, etc., etc. And today, people are becoming exiles for a number of different reasons as well. As we know, there's ongoing warfare, flooding and drought caused by climate change. People are forced to flee persecution for their political or their religious beliefs. There's ethnicity, your nationality, you could be the member of a particular social group, hunger, abuse, etc. And then also when you become an exile, you are labeled with different names as well. You're called a runaway, a refugee, an outcast an asylum seeker, a foreign national, a migrant, an illegal immigrant, etc. You know, it just depends on which box you are placed into. We are witnessing a massive shift of humanity, unlike any seen before. Apparently today, nearly 80 million people around the world are displaced from their homes. And there are actually about 34,000 people every day who are displaced from their homes. Now behind these numbers, behind these statistics are people with unique life experiences and dreams for the future. They, they They are mothers longing to return home, fathers yearning to work again, children searching for a childhood, But as European countries are contending with an unprecedented influx of refugees from Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan and elsewhere, we hear shocking tales of women and children drowning in the Mediterranean Sea and their bodies washing up on the shores of Mediterranean countries. But you know, the distress over refugees landing in Europe has actually overshadowed the the efforts of African countries who are also grappling with refugee emergencies. While European nations are seeking to limit the number of refugees and exiles from crossing their borders, 
Um, countries like Ethiopia and Uganda, for example, are taking in hundreds of thousands of refugees from neighboring countries. They have somewhat of an open door policy for people who are labeled as refugees. According to the UN, developing countries in Africa are currently taking in 80% of the world's refugee population. And then, of course, a possible fallout from this pandemic would possibly see even more people moving, migrating. Here in South Africa, we encounter exiles who have traveled into our spaces virtually every day. We encounter them as they try to find work at shops, begging at intersections, queuing at home affairs offices, waitressing at restaurants, doing deliveries on motorbikes, you know? Now, I just want to take a moment. I want to, I'd like to read a story of an exile from Zimbabwe. Uh, we would call him a refugee. Um, and his name is Moses Chikwanda. I came across his story as Moses Chikwanda had approached an NPO here in Cape Town called PASOP for assistance. And so his story was recorded. And I'd like to share that with us this evening. This is his story. I came to Cape Town from Harare. My mother died when I was a baby. By 13, I was taken out of school because my father couldn't pay the fees. I traveled alone to Wedza, an isolated rural community where I herded cattle. When I was 15, I had saved up enough money to return to Harare. My father had remarried and was living with his new wife in a small hut. So I moved in with a childhood friend. We lived in a one-room shack, balanced on concrete bricks. Our beds were pushed together. A strong rain could push the entire structure over. I cleaned houses once a week, earning just enough to buy bread and meal meal. Some days I was hungry. There was so little work in Zimbabwe. <clears throat> People who had returned from abroad said that life was better in South Africa. So for six months I saved 1,500 rand to pay smugglers. On a hot summer day, two men drove me and seven others to the border. I was 18 years old. For six hours, our small group, led by a smuggler, walked on a dense path through the bush. We spoke about everyday things, but the fear was there. Fear of crocodiles in the river, fear of the police, fear of gumagumas who are criminals who hide, waiting to rob and rape refugees. We prayed. And then we crossed the high river and made it to South Africa. The South African police stopped us once, but all they wanted was a small bribe. Relieved, we continued on our way. In Cape Town, a Zimbabwean lady 
looked after me for four days and told me about a job on a farm. I was hired to feed pigs for 1,400 rand a month. The work was tiring. Those pigs never stopped eating. But I was content. I lived in my own room for the first time ever with my Chelsea football poster on the wall. On my days off, I went to the local shopping mall. I met my girlfriend there. I had freedom and food. Over time, I saved 1,000 rand and bought myself the first nice item I'd ever had. A home theater sound system. I put it in my room. But my boss expected us to live without luxuries, low to the ground. He saw my sound system and grew convinced that I had stolen his pigs and profited from it. No matter that I had in fact saved a portion of my paycheck for months, he became increasingly paranoid. Then one payday in December, my co-workers told me that the boss didn't want to give me my money. He was drunk and it was his birthday. They said that he had been muttering, I'm turning 50 today so I can kill Moses without consequence. But this behavior was normal, you know. Every payday he got drunk and he yelled. But we ignored his fits. We thought that he was harmless. I did not think that he would really hurt me. I knocked on his door late in the afternoon. He answered. His shirt was off. His eyes looked wild. You're taking me for a fool, he said, and he walked off. I figured he was getting my money, but when he returned, he was holding a gun. He was a giant of a man. Before I could run, he grabbed me. I slipped away and began to run again. I heard one shot ring out, but I kept going. Then I reached a barbed fence that I couldn't cross. Another shot sounded out and I felt a ball of fire enter my leg just above my ankle. I looked down. Blood trailed behind me. My leg gave out. I began to crawl. Pulling myself beneath the fence, I soon felt weak. I crawled into the leaves behind a fallen tree and passed out. An hour later, I woke to the sounds of my boss's car roaming the property. I couldn't breathe. Once he had passed, I waved my hands until my co-workers in the distance noticed me and crept over with food and a jacket. I asked them to call my close friend who lived in town. I knew he would help me. Then I lay in the bush. I did not lose hope. My friend, afraid of also being shot, brought the police. He had been denied help at one police station and was sent to another, so the ambulance and officers arrived only late in the evening. The paramedics found me lying in the leaves. They dressed the wound and took me in the ambulance to the boss's house. There the police took a statement. The boss's wife said, He stole our pigs. The police asked me if it was true and I could only deny it.
For 46 days, I was shuffled between different hospitals. Skin from my thigh was grafted to my blown open calf. The pain was unbearable. My boss was arrested for a single night, but then he was released. His life continued as far as I know. Once I could move on my own, I found work feeding sheep again. But my, my leg ached when I walked. So I picked up odd jobs, cutting grapes and cleaning. But what once was simple is now agonizing. I cannot stand or walk long distances. In my dreams, I would have liked to be a doctor. Now I wish that I could simply learn to drive and get a license so that I could operate a taxi. But you know, lessons and tests cost money, and I only make enough money to buy food. When I can, I stand by the robots in the mornings, hoping to be picked up for labor. Every day I remember and I think of this farmer who shot me, living as though nothing has happened. I was scared to go to the police because I have no passport and know little about the law. The authorities are slow and they dismiss me, but I am patient. I want justice. I must believe that I will get justice. That's Moses Chikwanda's story. I wonder where Moses Chikwanda is today. I, and I wonder if our paths may have inadvertently passed somewhere. I do pray that he has found justice, but I do not have high hopes. Because you know, when you are in exile, everything is disorientating. It feels disorientated. It feels mixed up and unsettling. Because you are in a place that has a new language, new laws, new culture, new climate. New people who have pledged their allegiance to a different empire. You are in the unknown. In the story of the Bible, this is where the ancient Israelites found themselves. Conquered by Babylon living in exile from their homeland, feeling disorientated, unsettled, longing to get justice. It may have taken the Israelites four months to be walked from Jerusalem, from Israel to Babylon. And so they had to ask themselves, how did we end up here? And is there any hope of going home? But you know what? The whole story of the Bible is designed to address those very questions. How did we end up here and is there any hope of going home? When we read the first pages of the Bible, we read about Adam and Eve who live in a beautiful garden planted in the east as their home. They are there on one condition, that they trust and follow God's one commandment which was, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But we know that they do eat from that tree, and then we know what happened. The consequence of their action was exile, banishment from the garden, and they are sent into exile. 
This story of Adam and Eve helps us to understand Israel's story. There's a, there's a continuity here. There's a clear parallel between exile from the garden and exile from Israel. How they were given the gift of the promised land and were able to stay there on one condition. That they be faithful to the terms of their covenant relationship with God. But they weren't faithful. They followed their own selfish desires. And so they too were sent into exile. And as we continue to read in in Genesis, we see that humanity's exile from the Garden of Eden actually leads up to the story about the building of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. With the exile of the Israelites, they are sent to the same place, to Babylon. In the Bible, Israel's Babylonian exile became an image of something more universal. It is that feeling of alienation and longing for something more, no matter where you live. We all have earthly homes, but our homes are situated in a world that is scarred with pain and with broken relationships. It is scarred with death, with injustice done by others, but also injustice done by us. You see, in the Bible, exile is the human condition. It is our condition. We all keep repeating this pattern of human corruption leading to an exile, a Babylon that we cannot escape from without help. It it doesn't matter where you live, because corruption has crept into all of creation. And so, as a result, we are all longing for a better home. And then in the Old Testament, we read scriptures and prophecies that hold out hope that one day God would send a king who would rescue the world from all of the Babylons that we have created. And as the story unfolds in scripture, After many generations pass, we meet this Israelite king named Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus went into exile alongside with us to show us the way home. Jesus wandered about with no home, with no place to lay down his head, as Matthew describes it, announcing the great restoration and that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus brings the truth that the reality of home that Israel and all of humanity has been looking for can be realized. Jesus welcomed in the stranger. He welcomed in those who didn't have homes. Jesus said that God's love is shown when you invite in the outcast and you actively create space for people who don't have a place to belong. So we as Jesus' followers remain exiles as we wait for that day when Jesus returns to transform this world into a true home. A day when there will be no more tears shed and no more pain. 
and people like Moses Chikwanda will no longer be in exile and will see true justice in all of its fullness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have put us in this place, but along with your plans and your desires for us to be here, you have also given us a saviour, someone who will lead us home. And so we thank you for Jesus, who leads us out of exile. And Father, we, we ask that as we continue to meditate on our lives as being ambassadors for you, we ask that you would continue to equip us, continue to impart within us, continue to shape and mold us into people who are more and more like Jesus because we eagerly desire to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.